Hey, this is Lee Snow. I'm the preacher of Orange Springs Road Church of Christ, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for downloading today. I hope it inspires you. I hope it builds your faith. I hope it gives you a perspective to see what God wants to do in your life. And I hope it challenges you to a faithful tomorrow. All right, good morning. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. When God is having a conversation um, with Moses, Moses asks an interesting question that's really going to be the springboard for our entire study this morning. We've been going over um, looking at our responsibility to, to those four counties and, and really all the counties around us. Somebody said last week, why is Marion County not on there? And I said, because the Macons are the only one willing to drive four hours from Marion County up here. I don't know how long it is, but it's, it's a good ways out there. Um, no, the, really, because those four counties, Lee, Russell, Harris, and Muskogee, are the closest ones to us. It's where the majority of us live, right? Um, so we've been looking at our responsibility to that. And I know on the back wall, there's a, there's a banner that shows the unchurched ratios and those are people that don't go to service don't go to church anywhere don't go to um don't 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 have any ties to religion other than maybe maybe a small minute percentage of those people may have some belief like we talked about in bible class this morning but they just don't go to church anywhere the majority of them don't have any religious beliefs at all they're, they're part of what, what statistics call the nuns. When, they, when they're going to check off boxes on, say, their voter registration card or their, um, their um, census statistics or something like that, and it says religious affiliation, they're just going to put none. That's those people. If you, if you had to ask, what percentage of people in those four counties don't actually understand what they believe or what they ascribe to believe. If you had to ask what percentage of people in those four counties um, just go to church because that's what they've always done and that's what mom and daddy did when they were growing up and that's what grandma and grandpa did when they when they went and visited them and so that they just do it because it's, it's what they've always done. I think those numbers would probably get a lot bigger than they are right now. Now, that being said, we've been trying to look at our responsibility because we have tremendous potential in our area. 33.8% in Muskogee County. Even if you live in Harris County, 28.9% of people that live around you don't go anywhere. That's a big number. Um, I, I put those statistics on Facebook this past week or maybe a week before. Um, and uh, in a... In a preachers only group it's where we can go and you know we can have conversations that only preachers need to have conversations about you know sometimes we get in there and we gripe a little bit we complain a little bit and everybody tells us you know buck up it's okay you got into this you knew what you were getting into that sort of stuff right i put those statistics in there and somebody said <clears throat> somebody said well what's the national average and i said i don't know but here's the here's the general idea around our area okay now that being said this is um this general idea around our area 
is anecdotal, which means there's no, there's no studies that point it out specifically, but just from the studies that have been made, this is the conclusion. Columbus itself in Muskogee County has the highest number of churches per capita of anywhere in the southeast. Anytime you drive down this city, you see a church building, right? You, you, can, you can drive down one street and see multiple. You go down uh, Highway 80 in Ladonia slash Ladonia, however you pronounce that word, in Phoenix City, and you can see church buildings that share the same parking lot with drastically different beliefs, right? So the highest number of churches per capita of any, any place in the southeast. And with those statistics, probably... If not, if it's if it's not number one, it's probably up there of the lowest church attendance of any place in the southeast. So we have the most buildings and there's just nobody in them. Okay, so we have a we have a tremendous opportunity. We have a tremendous responsibility to our area in Exodus chapter three. Moses has this encounter with God. He has this conversation with God through the burning bush and God essentially I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but he essentially says, I want you to be the person that goes back to Egypt, get all my people out of Egypt, because I've heard their cries, the Egyptians are treating them horribly, which I knew they would, but they needed to learn it for themselves, and so I've allowed it to go on this long. Now it's time that you go back to Egypt and get my people out. And in verse 11, Moses asks God this, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verse 12, he answered, I'll certainly be with you. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. So God said, Moses says, how, who am I supposed to say sent me? How, how, are, how, am I, how am I supposed to, how am I supposed to get these people to understand that I'm actually the one that's supposed to go. How, how do I know, God, that you're going to back me up on this? And God says, here's, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go get them, and then you're going to come back here. And the proof that I'm going to be with you is going to be that you're going to worship God on this mountain. Hang on a second. Does anybody see a problem with that proof? Moses has to go and do what God says... And then after it happens, after he's completely done, after the Israelites are completely out of Egypt and they're completely across the Red Sea, and now they've crossed into the Sinai Peninsula and they're somewhere toward the south end of the Sinai Peninsula, hundreds of miles away from where they started, then Moses will get the proof that God's going to be with them. Wait a second. Moses just asked God for some proof. And God says, just go do it. And when it's all over, then hindsight is twenty You'll know that I'm with you then. God, that's not very good proof that you're going to be with me if I have to go do it all. And then I see but that's the that's the point. That's the point. Most of the time, we don't get the proof that God is with us until after everything's done. That's that's the beauty of what providence really is. We've talked a lot about providence over the last few weeks. That's the beauty of it. How do we know that, that we have an open door? Well, we have, those, we have those statistics. How do we know God's going to be with us at this time? We have the statistics. We know there's a lot of people that need Jesus around here. So when we get done, we'll be able to see that God was with us through the entire thing. But then, notice this. 
Moses is, this whole conversation has been that Moses is going to go to Pharaoh. Verse 11, Moses asked God, what should I go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Back up. Um, all the way back to where the conversation starts. And God says, I want you to go into Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and so forth. Here's the, here's the catch. Verse 12, God says, I will certainly be with you. This will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. And Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell him? And he says, you tell them that I am sent you. I am the, the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means God is everlasting. This whole conversation has been that Moses would tell Pharaoh to let the people go. That you need to go back to Egypt and get Pharaoh to release the people. And then Moses says, but I'm supposed to go to the Israelites and tell them something too, right? Yeah, I'm supposed to tell them who sent me because they're going to have to know it for everyone else to know it. In order for Pharaoh to, to understand that I've come on your behalf, the Israelite people need to be behind me on this. Moses is not only supposed to talk to Pharaoh, he's supposed to talk to the Israelites. And then he says, what should I say? What am I supposed to say? How, how am I supposed to have this conversation, God? In February, we're going to have a, a training course on Thursday nights that teach you what you should say. But what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to tell you what I would say. And outside of all the, you should, you should, uh, pause. You should never use gimmicks in order to teach people the gospel. Paul says we haven't used gimmicks when he's talking to the Corinthians and the Galatians and all, every other church in the New Testament. When Paul went to convert people and teach them about Jesus Christ, he didn't use gimmicks. And gimmicks are things like um, sleight of hand with the mouth. Where you get people to understand something by tricking them into saying something. You should never do that. You should never use sleight of hand with the mouth to try to get somebody to say that they believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But that doesn't mean that there can't be ways that you understand how people think. The first thing you're going to learn, those of you who have signed up for the cast and those of you who will sign up for the course between now and February, which I'm hoping there's a sign-up sheet back there. And there's only like four names on it now, and I'm hoping we fill that whole thing up. But anyways, the first thing you're going to learn is this. Three questions you ask, okay? You ask these people these three questions. You walk up to so-and-so and you say, uh, John, I have a question for you. Which one of these do you think is more interesting which one of these questions do you find more interesting not which question do you know the answers to i'm asking which questions do you think is more interesting is there a god if there is a god who is he or is there a judgment day coming guess what most of the people i've asked thousands of people that question do you know, you know what most people are going to say is there a judgment day coming that's the most interesting one because that's the one everybody's worried about right and then you say Listen, would you like to sit down and have a Bible study about the judgment day? That's not gimmick. That's not a trick. That's just trying to figure out where they are. 
if they say the most interesting thing to me is, is there a God, then you know that they're, they're interested in finding out the evidence and the truth about the fact that there even is a God to begin with. It's just a way that you get an idea of what that person needs more than other people. So, here's what I'm going to do this morning. We're just going to go over, there are three types of people in the world. There's the person that, um, okay, hear me out on this. Um, this, this phrase seems a little strange to us, especially given our current, uh, political culture. Um, there's the alien sinner. Okay. That means a person, those people, 37.8, and, and those people and all the people who have no idea why they just they just do what they've always done. That's the alien center. They have no clue. No clue about Jesus, no clue about the truth, no clue about anything. Okay? Then you have those that are faithful. Those people who faithfully worship God in the way that God has commanded. They faithfully live on behalf of God in the way that God commanded. And then there's a third group, which is the vast majority of people that are called erring or erring, depending on how you pronounce that word, erring Christians, people that believe, but they, 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 don't, they don't follow it. And even if they did believe, maybe, maybe what they do believe isn't true. Here's what I would say to those three groups, okay? You ready? The first one, the person who is on that board back there, on that banner back there, the alien center. Here's what you say to them. If you, if you, uh, we don't have PowerPoint this morning, so if you have a bulletin, take it out and write all these verses down. Are you ready? You got a lot of ink? I'm just kidding. Ready? If someone has no clue, has no clue about God, about anything. First off, you say, you need to believe in God. And they go, okay, but I don't know why. And I don't even think that there is a God. So we're done here. And then you have to sit down and you have to have the conversation with them about the, the evidence. You realize that the reason why we believe in God is not because that's just the Bible says that there's a God. If you go up to somebody and, that says, I don't believe that there's a God, and you tell them, but the Bible says it, they're going to say, good, I don't believe the Bible either. Have a nice day. There's evidence. There's real, honest-to-goodness evidence. Not, not, we're not taking evidence and twisting it or anything else. There's honest-to-goodness evidence. The same evidence that lead people to think that the world is billions of years old or trillions of years old is the same evidence that leads people to believe that there is a God just depends on how you look at it. Are you looking at it in order to make that evidence say that there is no God? Because if that's the case, that evidence is going to give a pretty good illustration of that. Because rocks look like they're really old. And it's got to take a long time to push this rock from this place to that place. It's got to take a long time for that sand to get here. Unless, unless there's a giant wave of water pushes everything around. See, there's, there's evidence. And so in order to do that, you're going to have to have that knowledge. You're going to have to sit down and look at the evidence. And if you haven't ever looked at the evidence, 
I'm going to tell you, you need to because you may be part of that group that believes in God just because the Bible says it. And if that's the case, it's called circular reasoning and it's worthless. If you've never looked at the evidence, you need to. Because it's there. And it's powerful. And it's, it's beautiful to see how God would use natural forces and supernatural forces to make the world the way that he has right now. And he didn't make it that way to trick people. He didn't make it that way to, to lead people to hell. He made it that way. And then we have taken that truth and we have made it into what we want it to say. So you say to them, you need to have belief in God. Because Hebrews eleven six says that without faith, it's impossible to please him. You cannot, you cannot tell God on the judgment day, well, I thought I was doing a pretty good job. I just didn't believe in you. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And it matters where you get that faith. When Paul's writing to the Romans in Romans 10, he says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If you have a faith that is not founded on the Bible, the written words of God. In fact, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that it is the breath of God. Everybody, I want you to do me a favor. Okay, I, I, know, I know this is a little odd, but are you ready? I want you to hold your breath. Can you do that for me? Hold your breath. Ready? For just 10 seconds. Ready? All right. Now, if we kept doing that, how long you figure you could last? I used to be able to hold my breath for a very long time. Without breath, what happens? You die. The Bible is the breath of God. The Bible is the life of God. And if you have a faith that is not founded on the life breath of God, Romans 10 says you don't have the faith that you need. You have something that's, that's counterfeit. Now, after that, if you have faith in God and you get that faith from the Bible... There's one overwhelming reality in the Bible. And that is, the way we like to do it, usually, 99.999% of the time, is not the way we should. Given our own devices, mankind is really good at coming up with ways that look like they're going to work. But they really don't. And so when you read the Bible and your faith is founded on the Bible, it leads you to realize that the way you've always done it and the way that, the way that God wants you to do it are two different things. It's called repentance. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Acts 2.38, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. In fact, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10 is the interesting one because it says that sorrow is not repentance. Godly sorrow is. Have you ever been sad? Have you ever been sorry? Have you ever apologized for something simply because you got caught doing it? Have you ever apologized for something simply because it made somebody mad and you didn't want them to be mad anymore? The, the conversation usually, yeah, I know, all the married couples are looking at each other now. It usually goes like this. 
honey, I'm sorry I, I upset you. And she looks at me and goes, that doesn't count. I'm sorry I upset you means I'm sorry that you didn't like what I did, but I still think that what I did was okay. That's not godly sorrow. Godly sorrow is, I'm sorry that what I did, the way I've always done it, is different from the way God has always wanted me to do it. Not, I'm sorry that God gets offended when I do it my way. In 2 Corinthians 7, and verse 10 says, Godly sorrow or godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. Alright, so once they've believed it, once they realize that their life needs to change and they've made the decision to change, then they have to tell somebody. That makes sense, right? Christianity is not a religion that's lived in a closet. It's not a religion that's lived privately. It's not a religion that you can believe and practice without ever telling someone. Um, I I think I may have told you all about this conversation. Uh, A few weeks ago, I had a conversation with a family member. And, uh, And he said... He said, well, I know, I, I know that like you're a preacher and so you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. But, you know, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think you should tell people about Jesus. I think you should just I think you should just let them live their lives. And that's fine. And I said, well, I could do that. But do you think I'm a I mean, outside of the fact that you don't believe Christianity that that. OK, let's leave that for another conversation. Do you think I'm a a fairly good Christian? Do you think I'm kind of good at it? I mean, I, I believe me, I fail all the time. But do you think I'm at least trying? And he said, yeah. And I said, okay, what if, what if Christianity tells me that I'm supposed to tell people? And he said, well, then I guess you, you need to probably tell people. And I said, exactly. And then he said, I still think you shouldn't, but I get why you do now. You cannot live Christianity without telling people about it. The word confession, uh, the Bible verses are, are numerous, but the one that I chose today is Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe on your heart that, uh, in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One who believes with the heart results in righteousness, uh, resulting in righteousness, one who, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. If you confess, the Greek word there is the Greek word homologeo. And doesn't that sound really cool? It like rolls off your tongue really easy. Homologeo. Homo means same. You might know that from the current political culture. Anyways, homo means same. Legeo means word. When you confess something, you're saying the same words that God said. It's, it's linked so closely to repentance that you can't really break the two apart and say that they're different steps. They're really the same thing. Confession is when I look at my faith that is founded on the Bible and the Bible tells me that the way I've always done it is wrong and the way I've always done it is not the way that God has always wanted me to do it. Confession says I'm going to say the same thing about my sins that God has said about my sins, that they're sins. Confession says, I'm going to say the same thing about Jesus Christ that God says about Jesus Christ. That He is the God that created the entire world. That He is part of the Godhead. Confession says that I'm going to say with my mouth the thing that I already know is true. And then after all of that, 
once a person does that, it's pretty simple to know that they need to, they need to fulfill God's commands. And by fulfilling God's commands, I'm not just talking about the next step in the plan of salvation. I'm really talking about all of the steps of the plan of salvation. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 says, Go into all the world, make disciples of every nation, teaching and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and I'll be with you always, even till the end of the age. We have a responsibility, those of us who believe the Bible and have a faith in God and understand that our sins are separating us from God, as Isaiah would say. We have a responsibility after we've said the same thing about our sins that God has said about our sins. We have a responsibility to change that, right? That means changing all sorts of things. It doesn't just mean that we get baptized and we're done. It means you change your entire life. It means that all of your actions, every action that you can ever do is shaped by the things that we talked about previous. But there is a real instance in the Bible, a real thing in the Bible called baptism that only happens after a person has done those things. After they've understood the truth and they've repented and they've said the same thing about their sins that God says about their sins, then... There's this thing called baptism, which is the strangest thing on the planet, if you ask me. It makes no sense. And I think that's why. I, I think that's why he made it. I think that's why he commanded it. Because it doesn't make any sense. You see, passages like Acts 2.38, Mark 16.16, 16, 1 Peter chapter 3, all say that this thing called baptism is when you're immersed in water, and Acts 2.38 says, for the forgiveness of sins or unto the forgiveness of sins. You can't have forgiveness of sins before it because if I'm going to drive to Walmart, does that mean I'm at Walmart right now? Now in this city, maybe because you've got like 17 Walmarts. But if I'm, if I'm here and I tell you before the fellowship meal, I'm going to go to Walmart and grab some chicken because that's what everybody does, right? If I say that, that means I'm not currently at Walmart, right? If I'm in the parking lot and I say I'm going to go into Walmart, that means I'm outside and I'm going to go inside, right? Acts 2.38, your repentance is into the forgiveness of sins. So, once you believe it, and once you understand it, and once it changes the way you think about things, and once... It changes the way you, you, you view and you speak about your actions and your sins. Then you're ready for baptism. Now, i got ten minutes left. How am I supposed to talk about the other two? Alright, buckle up. Y'all ready? That's what you say to a person who's never, been a, never, n- never had any idea. Does that mean that that stops? That, that once, you, once you get them wet... And they're good to go. No. Because there's two other groups of people. There's the faithful Christians group of people. Every person on the planet that you interact with has something that they need to hear from you. If they're one of those quote-unquote alien sinners, if they're one of the people who have no clue about religion, they need to hear what we just talked about from you. That you need to understand that there is a God And that God gave us a book. And that book teaches us about our sins. And if we're willing to repent 
And we're willing to say the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins in his book. Then we are able to have the forgiveness of sins. But until that happens, we can't have the forgiveness of sins. If the person is a faithful Christian, they still need to hear something from you. And that is this. Keep going. Pretty simple. Hebrews 10, verse 25, really all of chapter 10 is about the church. It's about faithful Christians. In fact, the entire book is really about faithful Christians. Paul writes a book and says, I know it's really tempting to go back. This is the whole book of Hebrews. I know it's really tempting to go back. I know it's really tempting to give up because the easiest thing you can do is to give up. It's the, it's the easiest thing. It makes life so much easier. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that becoming a Christian makes your life the, the you know, rainbows and butterflies. The easiest thing to do is to not be a Christian. And so once, we, once we're baptized and once we're faithful Christians, it's very easy to give in to the easiest thing to do, which is just to give up. But the book of Hebrews says, I know it's really easy to give up, but we have something better now. And it's worth it. We have a Christ that is better than the angels, better than the Old Testament, better than the old law, better than the old temple, better than the ways of worship that we've always done. And so Hebrews 6 says, we need to grow up. We need to, we need to mature and do the hard thing, which is stay faithful. And then Hebrews 10 verse 24 and 25 Say, if you're going to do that, you need other people. And so we come together to provoke each other to love and to good works because every person needs to hear something. And, and to a faithful Christian, you need to look at them and you need to say, just keep going. It's worth it. I know it's hard. It's worth it. Then you have this last group of people that have faith. Maybe they've even repented and have been baptized now they've given up. They've done the easy thing. Maybe they've never even been baptized. Maybe then you need to have the first conversation we had. But maybe they have been. And maybe they've just given into the easy thing. And they've decided, I think my life would be better lived if I just fly under the radar. I don't really, I mean, I, I believe God is real. I believe Jesus Christ is true. I believe everything he said. But I think the best thing for me to do is the easy thing, which is just believe it, but don't actually live it out. Well, then you, you need to tell them this. It's the same thing I tell every person in the first group after we get done with that conversation. And maybe they say, yeah, maybe one day. I always tell them this. Do you realize that what I've just done in having this conversation with you is make your eternity outside of Christ worse than before we had this conversation? Do you realize that if you don't obey the gospel through faith and repentance and baptism, then what I've done to you is make it worse, not better. And so you need to obey the gospel because if not, now it's worse than it was in the beginning.
and to the to the erring Christian, to the to the person who has given up, the person who has taken the easy way out, you need to tell them this. Do you realize that even though it seems easy right now, you've made it worse on yourself? Because now you know it and you're saying it's not worth it. And we both know it is. I had this conversation just yesterday. I was talking with an individual who knows the truth. And um, and she said, well, I, I, you're just using old rhetoric. I'd never heard that phrase before in my life. Old rhetoric. I said, what is that? And she said, you're just saying the same thing everyone always says. And I said, okay, you want me to tell you something that no one's ever told you before? She said, sure. And I said, you should have never become a Christian in the first place. And she, she said, what do you mean? And I said, because then you would have at least had an excuse. But now you've gotten rid of all of your excuses. So what are you going to do now? And you know what she said? She said, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And I said, good job. Now, I'm going to check this afternoon to see if she did. If she didn't, um, I'm going to, I have... See, the beauty about preachers is we have this network of preachers that we can sick on you at any moment. Okay? So if she didn't go, and I will know that if she didn't go, and I will sick my band of preachers on her. Anyways. James chapter 5 makes a very interesting statement. And it says this, about this, this person who has given, given up. Really, it's not even a per- about the person who's given up. It's really about the person who goes and talks to the person who's given up. James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. That's to the person who's given up. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. That's to the person who's given up. Elijah was a human being, as we are, and he prayed. Elijah is a person who had this this ability it wasn't wasn't miraculous in that god didn't god didn't give the power to him he he fulfilled his prayer elijah was a human being as we are and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and for 3 years and 6 months it did not rain on the land then he prayed and the sky gave rain and the land produced its fruit that's all to the person who's given up my brothers and sisters This is to the person who goes to that person. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. James, you just use the same word for this person who has been baptized as as you would use for a person who hasn't been baptized. Well, that's because the end result's the same. And that is a person who is a sinner whose life is consumed and characterized by doing it their way regardless of the way that God has said in his book to live. It doesn't matter. Sure, the person who's given up has it worse off because he knows the truth. And that's why in Luke 16, the rich man has this huge amount of turmoil on him, not just because of the the torture of being there, but also because he knows that one, he had the chance every time he 
walked out his front door and Lazarus was standing there or laying there. And number two, he knows that there are people back there that he could have helped that he didn't because he didn't help himself. And James says, the end result's the same. Sure, one person may have it a little worse. The end result's the same. And so if you're having a conversation with a person who's an alien sinner, a person who's never been baptized, they, they have no idea about the truth. They have no idea about the Bible or no idea about Jesus Christ. Here's what you tell them. You need to have faith in Jesus Christ. And you need to do what his book says, even when it says that the way you've done it's always wrong. And you need to say the same thing about your sins that God says about your sins. If you're talking to a faithful Christian, you tell them, put one foot in front of the other. If you're talking to a person who has given up, you tell them this. Your end result is worse than the beginning. It's better if you had never become a Christian to begin with. But now that you are a Christian, you have something that, that the person who's on that on that banner back there doesn't have the person on that banner back there is starting from ground zero you have something you're not starting from ground zero you know you never have an instance in the bible where a person who has been baptized is re-baptized never once sure you have people who are who were dunked underwater more than one time but once you're actually baptized and you understand what it is and you're doing it because God said to do it in the way that God said to do it for the reason that God said to do it, you never have another person doing it again. Because once you've done it and you give in to the easy way, all you have to do is have a conversation. Not with me. Not with some person in a box. Not some person sitting on a front pew. All you have to do is have a conversation with God. Maybe, maybe you need to tell people about that because they know about it and you need to say the same thing about your sins that God says about your sins. But the fact is that every time in Acts chapter 8, you have a Christian who has been baptized, who believed the truth, that gave into the easy thing and was overcome by sin. And that Christian was told you have a conversation with God. You repent to God. You pray to God. And He'll forgive you. James chapter 5. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you have King James Version. That means it really works. Okay? If you're one of those groups, which you are, because guess what? All of us are. We're one of them. Either we're the person who's never been baptized. Maybe we're the person who's faithful. Maybe we're the person who gave up and did the easy thing because we just kind of figured that that would, be, that would be worthwhile. You need, you need to figure out where you are for yourself. If you're having that conversation, don't tell the person where they're at. Let them figure it out for themselves. You need to have the conversation with yourself. Where are you? Have you ever been baptized? Do you believe Jesus? Are you willing to repent of your sins? Are you willing to be baptized? And you've never done it? Maybe you have. Maybe you're faithful. Then here's the catch. The entire book of Hebrews is written to you. It's really easy to give up. And sometimes we do. And sometimes there's Christians 
who need to let that be known publicly so that we can help each other. If you need to do something, then we're going to offer an invitation for you. If you need to be baptized, we're wel- we're welcome you and we will do that with you. We will baptize you if you're able to and willing to. But maybe you just need to have a conversation with God and realize that the easy way is not always the best way. If you're subject to the invitation, you need to, to do something publicly this morning, then we're going to stand and sing a psalm of encouragement for you, and you can let us know while we do that.